Welcome to Profiling Criminal Minds. I'm Dan. And I'm Dr. Redmond. And tonight, well, we're closing in on the end of season 14, <laughs> and it's a journey. Whoa, whoa. There, whoa. There's stuff here that, like, I mean, I only watched this last year for the first time. Uh, you watched it two years ago and it originally happened. Yeah. yeah, this is all pretty recent for me, and even I was surprised by some of the stuff I watched, because as we're going to get into, uh, a new lens for looking at the show like has been allowed to us, and certain episodes make it impossible not to use that lens. Lens, you just, you cannot no, yeah, avoid yeah. it. Flick like the like viewer over to that lens sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it just whaps you in the face and says, you yeah. got it. I'm sorry, but the old viewer ain't working. Nope. <laughs> we anyway. have to recontextualize this. <laughs> this whole yeah. show, unbelievable. Yep. Anyway, let's start with flesh and blood. Yes, please. Flesh and blood. Go. When two local attorneys are abducted and tortured and found with their hearts crudely cut out of their chests, the BAU attempts to establish a connection between the investigation and a case from their past. Meanwhile, Prentice juggles wrestling with her inner demons and organizing a romantic date with SSA Andrew Mendoza. Okay. Uh, so, yes, uh, Emily, you're, you're not uh, good at anything. Uh, there's There's no nice way to deal with Emily, so we're just going to have to deal with Emily. This episode. Oh. Okay, uh, so first off, this episode uh, was inspired by, themed after um, the 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 Brett Kavanaugh situation. Uh, remember Brett Kavanaugh, yes. Unbelievable yes. Scumbag? Yeah, it's not directly based on it, obviously, but uh, in a funny note, when they go through the, uh, when you look at his, um, as their nod to the kind of male culture that creates the entitlement that these guys would cover up their friend getting away with murder. Yeah. Uh, which we can talk about whether the show thinks that actually happened in a minute. Uh, but anyway, when he's going, uh, when uh, we see the, uh, the, the testimony, right? The testimonial he gave the cops about where he was, about his alibi was at a party and he lists all the people who saw him there. The, the whoever I don't know if it's the writer I don't know if it's one of the producers I don't know if it's just the person whose job it is to make the on-screen graphics but somebody said oh well the people who are his witnesses should be all of the same people who Brett Kavanaugh said uh he was a good guy said could testify that he was a good guy so yeah that's what's in there uh and the list of people it's all people the like the nicknames that uh Brett Kavanaugh had for his friends in high school. So yeah. <laughs> something fun there. I don't know what the message is there, but that's definitely the message they had. Because the show is weirdly coy about whether or not this girl actually got murdered. Yeah, it is, right to the end. Yeah, it refuses to commit to that one well, way or the well, other. Well, that is in keeping with their psychiatrists and psychologists are horrible evil people yeah exactly you know, that, sinister that, was monster. The, that was the only takeaway i could come to when i was thinking about well why did i mean why don't they make it one or the other yeah why not just commit to it 
this was this was one of their again one of their episodes that refuses right yeah, to Absolutely take a side at all refuses to talk about um environment and focuses on genetics yep and yeah they say they just tell you he was born bad yeah basically he was born bad because his dad was evil yeah and i'm like and well I, you, you know, know I saw the episode. His dad forced him to help him kill ladies. I think that would, I think the, uh, experience of having your dad forcing you to help him kill ladies kind of overrides whatever was in your genes. I feel like yeah. that's the much more rational. I also, thing. I also had a hard time believing that, 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 that little boy grew up to be that adult. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's Physically. a different performer. You know, so it's no, it's no, like I, they got the same actor back. Um, well, so, yeah. no, I know, physically, I know it is weird that. that he ended up. Well, no, I mean, they could have. Yeah. It, ha- it is 11 years later. They could have gotten the same guy if he had continued acting. I didn't look into that. I just looked into whether it was the same guy. It's not. It is uh, but not. yeah, it is. It is a little hard to believe that he grew up into that. But, you know, then again, his we're expected to believe like maybe his dad's genes kicked in eventually. Because he is, Eddie Cibrian's a pretty big guy, you know, so. So, yeah, it's, I think it's possible he grew into that. Uh, but, yeah, it's kind of funny where. Um, no, it's for the facial structure. That, too. But we don't, we don't know what the mother looked like. So, yeah, okay. There you go. Uh, but you're right. They do have completely different kinds of faces. So, uh, one thing that bothered me when I was watching it. Well, it was a lot that bothered me when I was watching. Uh, but one thing that bothered me when I was watching it is like right at the start, it's so crazy how bad they do, how badly they do their job. So they got the two first victims, right? And it's mentioned in passing that they both were in the same year of law school, right? Yeah. That just comes yeah. up in passing. And then they just don't look into that any further until the fact that they were all at the same bachelor party, right? Uh, <laughs> They were all at the same bachelor party, finally, to, uh, uh, like, clues them into the fact that all of these murders are 100% related. To which I'm like, but the second you found out that the first two victims definitely knew each other, why wasn't that where you went immediately? Immediately. Imme- that was exactly my thought. Yeah. How first is that time not- I saw it, second time I saw it. Like, how is that not your biggest line oh what's the connection here well two of them actually went to school together oh well let's follow that lead but they don't follow that lead well no and they actually say well they had nothing in common they can't figure out say they went to law school together they were best friends they were all at their friends bachelor party a couple of weeks ago and by the way there's no way those dudes didn't mention that on instagram or whatever like yeah there's no way these guys didn't mention the fact that they were all in, uh, they were all at this party. So this seems like something that they absolutely could have easily found. Had Pen- Penelope do her deep Had, dive. Yeah, exactly. But she didn't seem to do a dive at all this week. No, well, she, nobody told her to, so. Yeah. And it's like, and also, I, I'm just going to ask a question. Like, does Vicap not, just has Vicap decided not to help them anymore? Because you need to have... <laughs> Like, the whole point of VICAP is to plug in the details of a case and find out other similar cases. Well, you feel like if they had bothered to plug the details into VICAP, they would have said, oh, uh, 
person with their heart removed with a chisel dumped in an alley? That's a, you know, that's going to throw up some alarms. But no, they need JJ to remember it herself. But I'm like, that's the whole point of ICAP. Yeah. No, these, these two, these two guys' names were, were would have come up in yeah. that they had been part of a case. Yes. Oh, no. But beyond that, the, the chiseled to death in an alley, the oh, chiseled yeah. out the heart in an alley, Vicap would have said, hey, isn't that the way Eddie Cibrian was killing people more than 15 years ago? And they would have, been, well, not 15, 11 years ago. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, Eddie Cibrian did keep, kill people exactly this way 11 years ago. Because there's a lot of brutal serial killers in um, the world Criminal of Criminal Minds. Minds, but not that many of them are cutting people's hearts out with a chisel. You know, <laughs> that's know. a pretty inventive M.O. And when you were watching this episode the first time, were you immediately like, wait a minute, this must be Eddie Cibrian's son. The minute you saw the boxes with hearts in them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah okay, good. Well, I'm I think, glad. Yeah, the boxes with the hearts in them. And then you saw the alley and you're just looking at the alley. Like, and JJ oh, okay. Has yeah. this, you know, I'm going, well, yeah, OK. When when was that episode? <laughs> Start of season three when they were dealing with the yeah. aftermath of them uh, deciding they were going to fire Thomas Gibson the previous year, and then they had to back out of it because uh, Mandy Patinkin quit instead. <laughs> but they had to resolve the storyline about them yeah. trying to fire Thomas Gibson, and that's when he was uh, put on break. And they did—I mean, it's the whole um, Aaron went into the field, right, yes, and found episode. out she couldn't hack it. Yeah, yeah. And yep. uh, an episode they would remake years later with Barnes, and except yes. it would be so much dumber. Oh, it was so much dumber because Barnes is a more efficient person oh, and yeah. came up through the ranks. Exactly. Oh, uh, so, so idiotic. Yeah. Uh, anyway. But anyway, it's it's funny, right? Because you watch yeah. the episodes and you're like, oh, okay. Um, it's weird that they're doing a sequel. They almost never do that, but it forces us. To do what the show, I'm not going to say is unwilling to do previously, because, you know, I'm not going to judge their motivation here, but it allows us to get a look at Emily Prentice. And since we have determined that Emily Prentice is maybe a stand in for the showrunner, this episode would seem to suggest uh, some guilt, some... (laughs) Huge amount of guilt. Because what's fascinating is, so Emily Prentice is like, I was supposed to, I was supposed to look in on this kid and make sure he did okay. He even moved to Baltimore, like, 15 minutes from where I live. And I never checked in on him. Ever. And it's and like. She, and she wants to use the excuse. Yeah. Okay. Here's her excuse. I guess yeah. bordering. Bo- um. Beyond Borders was the excuse for Ian Doyle. She wants to use the excuse of Ian Doyle for not checking in on this child. Excuse me, Ian Doyle was finished ages ago. And yes, you went to London at one point. That doesn't mean you could. No, no, but here's the thing. Between Ian Doyle showing up, there were three full years Mm -hmm. between you saying you were going to make sure this kid did okay and Ian Doyle showing up. Yeah, but this, this three full is, years, and then is, you were only gone underground for one year. Yeah, none of that is an excuse for you failing your commitment to this kid. Yeah, none of it. But it goes with the usual. Remember, I mean, Derek. Yep. 
did the same thing, promising to to look after the kid of that cop. And then no. backing out. Yeah. And then just doesn't bother ever checking up on her. Nope. And then is stunned when she shows up. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, this is what they do. They keep making promises they do not even intend to keep. Yep. Except this time the consequence was uh the kid became a serial killer. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's and... all on Emily, but I gotta say, if this kid had had someone to talk to who wasn't a murderous psychiatrist, maybe he wouldn't have ended up serial killing. Yeah, if Emily had just done what she said she was going to do, and he brings that up, of course. Yep. But, you know, I mean, it's, it is just, and then, of course, they want to let her off the hook. No, it's not your fault. Of course it Don't is. Don't do all blaming yourself, Emily. Oh, give me a break. I know. It's disgusting. Yeah, but it's what they do. Know. They just, their job is to just constantly let each other off the hook. Like, they are the most, like, both a little self-destructive, but completely codependent group, you can imagine. Because they are out there just constantly letting each other off of the hook for things. Yeah, no, no, no. no like, nothing is your fault. That's, that's so nothing. When I screw up, nothing will be my fault. Either. Exactly. That is, that is how these people live. They keep all of their friends around to constantly let them off the hook. And, and then, say, no, you, you couldn't have known. How could you have known that the child of a serial killer who was used as bait for his dad's evil crimes and watched these women get murdered, how could you have guessed that he would turn out really bad if you, another theoretical parental figure, completely abandoned him? Yeah, particularly since... If he had any tendencies that way, being a profiler, she would have seen it and started to intervene. Yep. You know, I mean, because the impression you get is that this kid, you know, this psychiatrist is only a, a recent addition and the kid hadn't had a lot of intervention work, which he Until, should have done. Yeah, exactly. He, he only went to a therapist after his dad died. And and Emily, Emily... Well, of course, none she of these people. They don't go to therapists. So, they why just would she set him up with? A, yeah, why yeah. would she set him up with a therapist? You're right. Yeah, but like she, she might. She might have. You know, she she could have. Yeah, but uh, but the thing is, it's like that wasn't her priority. Her priority was going home and drinking a whole bottle of wine. Because yeah. the thing is, it's not like Emily has this full social life. Social life. Or, or kids family, of her own, or, or anything or that anything. would have kept, yeah, that would have kept her from looking in on this kid. She's got free time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, we do get the impression that people are always staying at this job for till one a.m. for no reason. Uh, but she could have made the time to check in on this kid, and she just didn't. Uh -huh. And it's very frustrating because, and this is the key part, and this is why, I mean, if people have been listening to the show this whole time, they know I am not skeptical per se, but I try to pull you back from relating everything to the lawsuit. <laughs> I know. For these but past two seasons. You can't. No, you can't overlook it because it's an, it's literally a story about Emily Prentice, who feels like the showrunner stand in, right? ignoring a problem and hoping it'll go away and then it starts destroying everything. That's yeah. what this episode's about. Yeah, and that's that's how can you not like read that through the like through, through yeah. 
the new lens of the lawsuit. Yeah, where it's like it's, this woman, Emily Prentice version, knew she should have done something earlier to intervene, and, right? But then ever, but then like, so it's almost like the character wants to admit it's her fault, and she tries to admit, and then everybody else is like, "Oh no!" Like you're you're reassuring. So it's like this weird, uh, th- this weird play they put on so that the showrunner doesn't have to feel bad about herself. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, I don't know how, like, it's really funny because one would never have read it that way the first six time. months ago. Nope. You know, before before we see this lawsuit. And then you're going, and then you wonder whether the whole show is just like, this whole family construct is just a, a stand-in for, like, yeah. it, I mean, we need a lot more thought to this. Oh, of course. Um, over... Like, like it takes more than just looking at these episodes, but every now and then we're getting an episode where you just cannot avoid Help but read it that way. Yeah. But you just read it like ignore, ignore, ignore this child for 11 years. Yep. To boot. That's right? the crazy part. <laughs> yeah. It's for wondering. the same amount of time that this guy was causing problems on set, supposedly. Like, is it links up perfectly with how long this kid has been neglected yeah, and that Emily has taken her eye off the ball. Like, yeah. that's, it seems like an amazing coincidence. And they, it's like, it's not like they had to make this episode. They didn't have to make a sequel no. to this. No. Like, no one was saying, hey, I'm desperate to find out what happened to Eddie Cibrian's kid from 11 years ago. Yeah. No, if you want a sequel, you want them catching the guy in the Appalachian Trail. You want them looking into the guy who kidnaps children from cars when their parents are sleeping. You want to cat them to catch that Jason they let get away that time. Yeah. <laughs> like, there are episodes that could have used sequels. Yes, not that one. This one isn't one that demanded a sequel. It's just yeah, no. not. So you have to ask, well, why did they want to make a sequel to this? And the only answer seems to be to work through their feelings about the lawsuit. Okay, now here's the interesting thing. Please. Right. First of all, there's a guy by the name of Christopher Barber who's done a few episodes, I think, okay. or has just come on. He did actually a real 34. But anyway, this season. That was not a good episode. Continue. No. Uh, but Glenn Kershaw is the one who also this. named in the lawsuit who yeah. directed this. Well, he directs a lot of the episodes. Uh, not as many as 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 he did in the beginning. Right. No, no of course not. But, um, yeah, I mean, he still, he still directs because, yeah, but it, it's, in, you know, that's what he moved into after he let go of being the, uh, the, um, DP. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it is, it is a, you cannot avoid. Yeah. Reading this into you, it. Yeah. Reading, reading into it at the end right it's just this bizarre and then she goes on with her life and has a wonderful romantic date with uh mendoza i know you know in the middle of this horrible god-awful thing that has happened to these these men and this kid yep um and it is horrible and this psychiatrist is horrible Right? But the fact, and I can't stress this enough, right? The fact that her response is, that her takeaway lesson is, you know, that my mistake was it's like, I didn't take enough time for personal stuff and help this kid. So now I'm going to become a better person by just going out on a date with a guy. <laughs> like, and having sex. Yeah. And just having sex with this guy. Well, I'm like, 
that wasn't the issue though like the issue was you was not that you weren't taking enough time for yourself it's that you didn't do what you promised you were going to do in other this words is the much more is, serious than that yeah like, don't make promises you can't keep or you or have you no intention of keeping. of keeping yes it's like how does this up ep- like a better place well that was that for was this funny. episode to wrap up is like Hey, maybe go to see that guy in jail. Yeah. Maybe go to see him in jail. Maybe apologize to him in a less hectic setting and, you know, make an effort to call people to ensure that he's actually going to get some help this time. I remember you know some pretty good lawyers. I remember that you know you probably can get him. For God's sake, you got Reed out of jail. Exactly. Like, you got you know, Reed out of jail. This yes. guy was, I mean, I'm not going to say it's a Hannibal situation, but it's the next best thing. He was manipulated by an unethical therapist to turn him into, to take his bad tendencies from, that he learned from his childhood with his horrible father and exploit them for her own evil purposes. I don't yeah. debate how evil it is. They did cover up for a murder. But the point yeah. is, I'm not in favor of that kind of vigilante justice. No. Right? And, and, and it's not good yeah. for him to be doing. And we do believe that these guys did it. Covered for the guy. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, no. I'm sure I'm sure the he didn't mean to kill yeah. the woman he was having an affair with. I'm sure he tried to break up with her. Right? And yeah. he tried to break up with her because he was getting married. And then uh, they got into a fight and she got, you know, pushed over and bonked her head. I'm sure that's all it was. And he said to the friends, oh, well, you've got to, uh, you got to cover for me. It was just a horrible accident, blah, 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 blah. But I can't let this ruin my life. I'm sure that is what happened. Yeah. Like, because it just tracks for who all of these people are. Yeah. Uh, but there's no proof one way or the other in the episode, but we're free to assume. But the fact is, yeah. whether or not the guys had it coming... It's bad for his mental state to have been involved in this. Well, he shouldn't have been. That psychiatrist was just, I mean, the the manipulative psychiatrist, as I said. Yeah, exactly. um, The evil psychiatrist. And if Emily, if Emily had done what she promised to do, none of this would have happened. Nope. No. Had Emily lived up to her obligations, none of this would have happened. You're absolutely right. And that's what's so frustrating about the episode, because it lets her off the hook at the end. And she's like, what she really needs is to get laid and take some time for herself. I'm like, no, that's not what she needs. What she needs is to start taking responsibility for her actions. Yes. Her actions and and her inactions. Oh, God, especially her inactions. Inactions. That's, you know, I mean, this is the episode of of your inaction. You promised and you didn't you didn't give this kid another thought nope he was never i mean he was never mentioned again ever no. No. not once did this kid get mentioned again after you promised to do something to help him so yeah uh emily doesn't come off looking too great in this episode no. but the way it ends makes it seem like they're nervous about the fact that emily doesn't come across too great in this episode and they're desperately rationalizing yeah, it's really, it's it's a bizarre, so, and as you say, they didn't need to do this episode. Nope. Like, I don't know whose idea this episode was, Yeah, but it's, but it's very like, strange. It's so weird that it's like they went out of their way to do this episode that makes Emily look terrible, but then right at the end, 
tries to like come up with some excuse to rationalize away her guilt. Yeah. But it's like, you could have just not done an episode. Like, if you didn't want Emily to feel bad, you know, you could have just not done this episode. <laughs> yeah. That was, you said, had that option. Nobody was crying for this episode. So, yeah, why do an episode? And it's almost like someone was haunted by the fact that, like, Emily never looked after this kid and decided to proactively, like, make an episode about how that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> about how well no she's real she's really not a bad person and again like it's it if they weren't motivated by the showrunner overlooking abuse this whole time this episode doesn't make any sense no like this episode only makes sense as a mer- meta narrative about running the show yeah yeah it's so weird like it's such a strange episode for that reason because it only seems to track logically as a meta narrative about the show thus raising the question how much did they know about how guilty they were you know like what was it like behind the scenes what were these conversations like okay here yeah please okay can i just yeah no and that's exactly the reason i want to do this is so i decided to look up the writer right first of all he wrote for csi oh okay one of those um okay just just a minute. He wrote in a CSI um, up until 2015. Oh, okay. So 2013 to 2015, okay. it seems. He was a producer and the rest of it, right? Yeah. Okay. And then he wrote for Beyond Borders. Oh. For two, 2016, 2017. I was trying to figure out where I'd seen his, right? Name. So he oh. seems to have written. It says producer, so I suppose I should. No, that just means he's a staff writer. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, he's the writer says he is only seven. Oh, that's bizarre. He has more than that. Yeah. Um. So he did face off under the skin, flesh and blood rule. So he was 2017. So he moved from Beyond Borders over to Criminal Minds. Yeah. And so I'm wondering in 2017. Yeah. So when when Criminal when Beyond Borders folded, he's one of the people who moved over along with Matt. Yeah. And, okay. And you're, so then you're looking at it and going, okay. So how shocked was he? Yeah. And but I mean, what maybe was going he's, on in the set. It's entirely possible that this is his commentary on coming into this second show and finding it to be so much more dysfunctional. Yeah. Right? And being shocked how it is, and he writes this meta-narrative. I mean, again, we are ascribing intent that we don't have evidence of, obviously. No, this we is, have oh, no... This is just us theorizing. But this is how it reads. But this, this is, is how... Like, the episode doesn't... Uh, again, once you accept that Emily Prentice is a stand-in for the showrunner, how else can you read this episode? Well, even if you didn't... Even if you didn't accept that, you're going, somebody's trying to make it seem like that. That's true, yes. <laughs> You know, it may be that somebody's somebody's doing this, and it's it's possible because this is a writer, right? Who yeah. who was who had worked for two years on this other set, mm-hmm. um, and then was willing to come over. Well, of course, a job's a job, but still was willing to come over, right, yeah. to this one, and yeah, then and then so finds out going, what it, the work is like here, and is like okay, and, and then has right, to write an episode. When about, the first... like, the consequences of taking your eye off the ball. Yeah. 
And that's what the whole episode's about. Emily I'll... Prentice took her eye off the ball and tragedy ensued. Yeah, and that's the funny thing, right? Is because that is, while doing Beyond Borders, she wasn't... She didn't she wasn't pay... there. She took her eye off the ball and presumably things, things got, got worse, worse over at Criminal Minds. Yeah. That's what we have to assume. And that's what this episode seems to be about. And again, we're saying seems to be, and we're like being very coy about this because we've got no evidence, but it's hard not to read it this way because it's so strange. No one was asking for another episode about this. No one was like, none of the fans were like, hey, you have to follow up and talk about how Emily's not good at living up to her promises. Like the no. fan community wasn't desperate to do that. So it's a whole episode about how Emily screwed up you know, people's lives and got people killed by not living up to her promises that right at the end of the episode has to say, because it's criminal minds, but it's okay. You're fine. Don't blame yourself. Yeah. Don't blame yourself. I mean, the unofficial catchphrase of criminal minds. Yeah. That Don't might blame be, yourself. That might be, be Glenn Kershaw's addition to the, uh, <laughs> the, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it may have had a different ending and he decided, no, we've got to, uh, we got to make sure that she doesn't blame herself and 100%, <laughs> excuse me, or yeah. hell, maybe it was her, maybe it was her suggestion. Who Again, knows? we can't yeah. say that for sure, but yeah, like someone said, no, it has to end with Emily being completely let off the hook. That's yeah, the only way we can end this facing, episode. Yeah. Facing her demons. She says, no, no, I don't have any demons. Let them go away. Yep. Damn. The All only right, thing so. I can say. Wait, no, yeah, there's just please. one last thing I have no, no, to go, say. Go, go, go. A little snarky. At least please. we know that Emily doesn't drink for breakfast. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> At least Emily doesn't have wine for breakfast. <laughs> she is an evening drinker into yeah. the night. God That's only true. knows. I mean, if she gets called at one o'clock in the morning. I know. She's How going she to work with her freaking hangover. Well, no, I mean, maybe somebody still picks does. her up. Yeah. yeah maybe it, somebody picks her up. Well, actually, and there, <laughs> I, I do remember my crazy, uh, the, one of the craziest episodes this season was she was complaining about her commute and having to deal with traffic. And I'm like, it really pisses me off how often the writers on this show seem to think they work in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Because <laughs> there is an FBI office in downtown Washington, D.C. There was a lot of tourists because. They were going to close it and get a much bigger and better law office. Um, sorry, uh, much bigger and better office for the FBI, the headquarters. Yeah. But President Trump put the kibosh on that because that would have opened up real estate in downtown Washington, D.C. that uh, someone else could use a ho use to make a hotel to uh, mm -hmm. uh, to be with his hotel. And this is a fun fact. Like the developer was so excited to uh, build a hotel in downtown Washington, D.C., that his deal with the FBI was that it's like, not only will I pay you for the land that the FBI building is currently on, I will buy you the land, like, and pay for the construction of the new <laughs> FBI building outside of Washington, right? So you can have the exact building you want, and I'll pay for it and build it. That's how much I want the land your thing is on. And, of course, the government took that deal because it really doesn't make sense to have the FBI's headquarters in the middle of downtown Washington, D.C. Um, so they're like, this is a great deal. And then Trump put the kibosh on that to make money himself. But as a consequence, the people writing this show, 50% of the time seems to think these seem to think these characters work in Washington, D.C., they don't. They, they work don't. in Quantico. <laughs> and all, so yeah. 
Emily, yeah, has a condo in Georgetown. That's been well established. But how is there traffic getting to Quantico when she's driving against all of the people coming in from Chevy Chase and Ellicott City and all of the Tony suburbs who are driving into Washington, D.C. to work for the government? She's going the other way. There can't be traffic. I know. I know. And people who don't know what Washington is like, I remember getting stuck once on the on the ring road. Beltway. They call the, beltway. It the beltway. Yes. Yeah. Excuse me. The beltway. Other cities right? call it a ring. Because because the car overheated. It was so hot and the car just overheated and had to yeah. sit there. And it was the. I think I mentioned this before and it's before it was the, the days before cell phones. Like there yeah. was there was no way to contact my husband. Anybody support. Yeah. You know, you just had to sit there at the side of the road and wait for the car to cool down. That's terrifying. Uh, and it was and, and it was Mercedes. Um as <laughs> I said, I am nouveau poor, but uh it wasn't Mercedes <laughs> at the time. Um yeah. and it was a surprise, except that um Washington was really it was really hot. Oh yeah, and the air conditioning was going gets sweltering in the summer. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, never mind. No, but it's, it's just a just a comment about her. But yeah, so yeah. like this episode, it's one of the episodes that it's. I know it's rare that we talk about an episode like this, but it's one of these few episodes that only really makes sense in the meta context. Yeah. And that's what's so weird about it. That that was so weird. Like I'm just I was when I first watched it last night. I'm just like. Say what? No, I know. it's. I it was, was really weird. surprised watching it this time. Because, again, I had just, like, gone over all the dumb things that happened and blah, 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 blah in my review. But now, looking at it with fresh eyes and knowing about the lawsuit, you just can't not see it. Not hear, hear yeah. the excuses, right? Yeah. I mean, because we always complain about the fact that they let everybody off the hook. Oh, absolutely. But now it's taken on a and, – and you wouldn't go back to earlier episodes, no. right? Like – a couple of years ago and rethink those because there's only been a minor problem and nobody, it would appear that there have been no major issues. Well, no, but I mean, now, but, but as you said, on. the, the episode that 100% you have to change the way you look at is the episode where they get confronted by uh, HR yeah, and say, sexual. we can dismiss what HR is saying. There's yeah. no way you can't read that as a meta comment now. No, that's that. I mean, that's the episode that we're going. Okay, that's the one that everybody should have to watch. Yeah, right. The Just the beginning, the the yeah. prologue and the epilogue. Yeah, no, everybody like if they show that this. in court, the yeah. the TV show loses. Like if somehow the prosecuting attorneys, well, not prosecuting, the plaintiffs' attorneys manage to show the episode "The Black Queen" in court. Just those two scenes. Yep. Then, yeah, like the CBS has lost the lawsuit. <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> you That's know? all it would take. Whoops. Here is what Criminal Minds thinks about hostile HR. workplaces. Yeah. And HR, but hostile workplaces Workplace, specifically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, Criminal Minds' opinion is, shut up. Yeah. Oh, you, you think we're running a hostile workplace? Then you need to shut up. That is Criminal Minds' official stance yeah. on hostile workplaces. Now we can move on to Nightlights. Yes. All right. Let's move on. Well, what I said about this one was, oh, Redux from the episode before. Anyway. Uh, read the synopsis. 
When the mysterious abduction of a man from Portland, Oregon is connected to an unsolved double homicide, the BAU sets out to track down a killer who blinds his victims before forcing them to play a deadly cat and mouse game. Meanwhile, Alves invites the rest of the team to a housewarming party at his new apartment. Okay. So, uh, yes, I didn't remember this one. Like, that description does not really Mm-mm. jump out at you. No, because... Like, it's not super helpful, but after I started watching the episode, I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you... you, you, you... You recognize it immediately. Oh, yeah, but, totally. Um, you know, yeah, but the, the description was not a great... All I'm saying is the description wasn't a fantastic description. No. Um, yeah, it's... It It was... Um, but this is, um, this is the episode what? that contains what I refer to as, like, the single dumbest thing they've ever had Spencer Reed do. And I know that's, that's a high bar. Because... <laughs> The problem is he's a super smart character being written by people who are not that smart. So obviously the stuff he does is going to be kind of dumb a lot of the time because they don't understand what smart actually is. Um, but th- this is the episode where the, and I don't remember the exact number, where the the kid they're looking for, his code name in the files is uh, 01422, right? 10422, that's the thing. And Spencer Reed is like, I've got to figure out what that means. I'll start rearranging the numbers in different orders. (laughs) Like, what are you thinking? It's because the writers have seen smart people do that on television. So they're like, that's obviously what he would do, except no. Spencer Reed is smart enough to know that if there are five characters, you cannot contain within those five characters more information than those five characters they could be if they were if they were referring referring to words that would be one thing but you can't know that unless there's a code key like simply rearranging the numbers is never going to tell you anything yeah so it might be the single dumbest thing they've ever had spencer do yeah. yeah, say or do. Because like, I'll just go, I'll just rearrange these and figure out what these numbers really mean. They're numbers. They don't mean anything. They, they were an no... address, a house address, actually. Yeah, no, but it turns out to be a house address. <laughs> but the numbers in and of themselves no. mean nothing unless you know the context in which they're be- they should be used. And that's the point. And any quote unquote brilliant person would know that right away and see that there was no point in rearrange like he literally gets out a stack of cards that have one zero four two and two on them so he can lay them all out in front of him and i'm like what are you doing writer or director again spencer reed um even if he were going to do something this dumb he doesn't need a series of cards he would just take out his notepaper and write down all of the possible options remember he's smart he doesn't need cards to help keep track of it. No, no, he can do them. He can do he them can in, do his it all in his head. head. Of course. He have to even have pencil and paper. No, he doesn't. But I mean, for the audience, he should have pencil and paper. Yeah. The idea that he wastes time getting out a bunch of three by five cards with numbers written on them. It's just kind of nuts. Well, yeah, you know, it's just one of those little things that makes you go, oh, dear. And this is, I, I don't know. I mean, I found these episodes... They are just so horrible. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I spend so much of my time, now that I'm watching it the second time, 
Yeah. Like closing my eyes because I'm going, I'm not Ugh. watching this again. No, I don't need to watch this violence and I don't need to see this horror again. They go out of their way to be so unpleasant this episode. Well, and the episode before, too. Like, it's it's just watching the brutal beatings. They can't, they don't know what to do when they, when they can't have sexual violence against women. They haven't got a clue what to do. So they just really dial up the brutality. Yeah. They, 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 and the torment and the torture. And yeah. yeah. They chainsaw massacre their episode. Yeah. That's exactly what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And And this is a perfect example of it because it's like we see this couple being horrifically tormented over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. They spend all of this time torturing this couple just because this guy is evil. And I'm like, we get that he's evil. You know, we don't need to see every little bit of why he's a monster. Well, I guess you had to fill up time. Yeah, no, that's true. It's not like it's a it's not like it's a in-depth plotted episode. Like they literally find the guy, right? For two re- like for two reasons. One, um the uh the psychiatrist. Uh, well, no, no. Um the psychiatrist doesn't actually help that much. One, a guy literally witnessed uh a blind man escorting the people out of their house at, like, knife or gunpoint. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. A guy literally <laughs> saw the killer escorting them out at knife or gunpoint. We never find out exactly what. So that's A. B, um, later, the the house where they were kidnapped from, the woman who owns the house knows who the killer is. Yeah. Knows his name. Yeah. And well, there's this funny moment, right? Where um, they do that thing that I talk about on the show a lot, where they have to look like their uh, their insight is helping figure out the crime when it isn't actually. Because in this episode, you get this ridiculous moment. So there's you got the woman there who uh, manages the house for her parents, where the murderers, where the murderer has kidnapped these uh, this couple from, right? Uh-huh. So he she manages the house. So they say to her. And this is the part I find, you know, so ludicrous. So they say to her, oh, okay, well, do these numbers, numbers mean, mean anything to you? And, and I'm like, goes, oh, that's the house address. Of, and I'm like, wouldn't it make far more sense to say, hey, um, do you know any crazy murderers who might be blind? <laughs> well, a blind man, uh, a blind monster attempt to rape me one time. Like, and that's what she would respond. But no, they're like, they think the numbers are the important part we need to focus on. No, you can just ask her if she knows any screwed up people who also might be blind. Yeah, because the, the funny thing is, is she yeah. does. Yeah. I mean, the funny thing is, yeah, I mean, the, num- the, the why would the numbers yeah, anyway the number- mean anything anyway, right? Why I mean, they're he, just yeah. file numbers. Exactly. And like, and and now we're asked to believe what? that this professor used the guy's home address as the file number for his, on his anonymized files. And I'm like, that's not how you do anonymized that's how you, files. Exactly. That's not how you anonymize files. That tells you, just you right give away. them arbitrary numbers and somewhere there's a code telling you which file is which number, but it's not on the file. And it's, yes, and it's, yeah. I mean, obviously they should have been looking for his book where he keeps the, he keeps track the of master who's list. who. Yeah. It's master. The master list of who's yeah. who. Yeah. Because there has to be a master list of who's yeah. who. But yeah. no, they just have a number. Because they're they, like, we're going to focus on the wait, number. Wait, it's because, Go. because they don't know how research works. That's true. They fired all their researchers. So <laughs> they have no idea. 
how research really works when you're doing blind and or when you're trying to yes. anonymize your blind studies study studies right yeah for other people to analyze yeah especially <laughs> you know i'm just yep. going, it's just uh yeah okay whatever also I we're expected to believe right that this this couple had a famously awful son who was in jail for blinding somebody and we're expected to believe that he got out of jail and none of their friends or other relatives or anything knew that like they hadn't mentioned by the way our crazy monster son is getting out of jail and he's coming to see us like is they've been dead for like a week at that point and no one has noticed <laughs> that their monster that they disappeared right at the time their monster son got out of jail like you think do these people have no friends do they know uh, no one clearly yeah like it seems peculiar to me that they would have no larger circle of people they knew who would notice that they were missing but no hey. i think that there is no there is no oversight in any of this writing in the writing room yeah. period oh, no, at absolutely. all or no and no really like that you have stock writers like this person i don't think ever wrote an episode before or after right um it's on it's a one-off she certainly didn't write anything else this season and i don't remember ever seeing her name before because yeah. i pay attention to that so um so she's in the writing room so she's so here's your template and yeah blah, just you know yeah, just follow the template there you yeah. go because cause we don't have time to worry about whether there's any sense or consistency or whatever. I mean, this yeah. is a really kind of just all of these episodes. This is why we keep saying that as you keep going on, they just keep it keeps getting worse and worse. It's like there's like and and now we know now we know why any of the people who are supposedly in control of this set. Yeah are um are not really focused on what's going into these episodes again maybe something could have been done with this episode to make it a little better and a little more interesting oh yeah um but nobody nobody has got time. nobody's eye is on the ball anymore no nobody's eye is on the ball with any of these episodes this i would think this whole most season. Of, this whole season yeah. i can't i can't think of one they're very perfunctory. You can say sometimes mm -hmm. they're episodes. They're very bad. And uh, yeah. they range from utterly perfunctory to outright terrible. Yeah. And and the, the violence is unbelievable. Oh, yeah. I they mean, really we really turned I, up the violence. This I year. was not. I suppose it's in Saw territory. Oh, it I is. mean, it's it, for sure. It's like, OK, did did nobody tell you you're supposed to be doing a criminal mind <laughs> show and not a horror yeah, show. Although, I mean, it is a horror show, but not well, in this, not in the way that they're not in the way that it's not being presented. This yeah. this year, this year, it's I mean, a different we, thing. We say it every now and then that there's the odd, right? Yeah, horror episode. Episode that is just, but now it's this whole this whole season seems to be basically uh, horror. You know, a massive horror show. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. So yeah, why take? It's pretty frustrating, actually. Well, it could be. Uh, it's it could be frustrating. Um, but you can see why this only went fifteen episodes. Yeah, no, it's it's strange because you're right. Like, 
as the lawsuit is coming down, they're doubling down on the violence over and over and over again. Yeah, as if violence is more acceptable than, what, sexual violence? Yeah. And so we, and the thing is, like, um, I, I guess we're supposed to assume that this guy's a monster because his parents were just terrible? I guess so, yeah. I think so, because it's like, they do this wonderful theory where they're like, but what if? Like, yeah, but what what if after he couldn't do the exposure, they couldn't do the exposure therapy with this guy because one of his patients killed him before? What if they kept doing the exposure at therapy, but they didn't have a control setting or a therapist? So they locked and him maybe in a they closet. used it, locked him in a closet and used it as punishment. And it's like that could easily drive someone crazy. And what I love is like none of that is coming from any facts they have. They're just imagining a situation where the parents could have driven the guy mad through bad attempts at therapy. And what I love is that it's like, they don't have any evidence that that's what happened. That's based on nothing except for their theories about the case. And I just find it kind of weird how much they build around their, just their theories of the case. Yeah, we don't even like know if any, it's right. And we never find, and we never find out if it's right because we never spend any real time with the killer talking about himself. And when he does finally talk about himself, his message is, oh, I'm just a crazy monster who loves violence. <laughs> I was genetically born. We've yeah, got I'm genetics just, again. Yeah, I'm just evil. Yeah, I'm just evil. That's it. Is the, is the you know, the, the thing we learn about the guy. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. And of course, um, just for the record, if you want to check out my review on Vargelon.com, I actually mapped out where the guy's hideout was and based on like because they show us on a map where the house the dude ran to was yeah uh and just fyi um in case you're wondering this is how sloppy the show is based on that his uh hideout had to be in a very specific location and uh 100 there's no way the guy ever would have been able to find the guy who ran away and more importantly uh, this is another one where dogs could have helped. They know a, they know a sweating, freaked out, like a drenched in sweat, freaked out guy ran barefoot, almost naked through the woods, right? To get to this house. Well, grab a bloodhound, have the bloodhound lead you back from the house. This entire show, there's so many episodes where a bloodhound could have solved the crime right away. And the show, you know, never acknowledges that. Like no. the one, I mean, how many times have we ever even seen dogs in the show? Like I was trying to think, like I was thinking I've got a couple and then I'm going, oh no, that was the inside. No, that was gone. No, no. You know, there are other dogs. shows with dogs that, that find places, right? And yeah. you just write around that. Yeah. I mean, well, just like the one time I can honestly think of the, uh, the, the dogs coming up is the dogs are pointing east. Uh, uh, the dogs say the trail leads east, and Derek's like, "Well, he definitely would have set up a fail tra uh, fail a fake trail for himself. We'd better go west, cause dogs can be easily fooled." And I'm like, "Are well, you? Yeah, kidding? but he he still walked back west eventually. Yes, so the dogs can just go east and then yeah, turn around and, then and turn go around west. And go west, yeah. Like, nope. come on, Derek. Dogs are freaking good at this." They have been bred for hundreds of years to be good at this. Specifically, this one thing, following the sense of humans. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's a very weird, 
the yeah. very weird episode where once again dogs could have saved the day because if they just had a dog lead them to that house then they would have saved that guy long before he got killed so yeah i'm just saying their unwillingness to have a bloodhound on the team uh really causes <laughs> a lot of problems let's move on to hamelin all right let's move on to hamelin please Okay, when three Iowa children disappear from their homes on the same night and surveillance cameras in a local park capture the children freely entering their captor's van, the BAU sets out to profile a budding injustice collector with dark motives. Meanwhile, JJ spends personal time with her mother, Sandy, after renovation jobs force them out of their respective houses. Yeah. Okay, so um, here's the thing. What do you, where do you want to start? It's tough. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, this is where I'm like, oh my God, they're trying to set up Reed and JJ. Because <sighs> I had, I'd understand time. it was a possibility, right? Earlier in the season, but like seeing this episode, you're like, oh, that's what they're doing. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it is, it is inex- inescapable. That that is what they're doing this week, and it's just so offensive. All I can say is thank you, all my fellow fans, who said that that was a horrible thing yeah. to do. Yeah, that there was that would in many ways ruin the show. Trying I, to get these two together, you know, because clearly, clearly, it had to have come from the fans. Oh yeah, I mean, oh, there, no, might, there must have been a fan outcry. Yeah, because there might have been fans that. Um, that did want them to get together, but I suspect that most of the fans, because I don't follow those the, the fan sort of things, but no, of course not. I would have think, generally speaking, we're so- not fans; we're academics. <laughs> well, it's not. It's not. I mean, I mean, it's a joke, but it's yeah. also true. Well, we were, you know, I mean, you could be a fan in the beginning, but my God, yeah. No, as at I this told point, you, the only re. The only, you know, responsible way to watch Criminal Minds by this year is as an anthropologist. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, you know, we're just, just studying here. American attitudes about crime in the at the millennium, uh, you know, at the turn of the millennium. millennium yeah. like that's and, the only responsible way to watch this and show after anymore. Me too. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and yeah, that's the big one. Post Me Too. Yeah, because remember Kevin Spacey is uh, oh, also yeah, I know. got brought I know. down at the beginning, and then the did fist. you see? What? Oh, did you see the picture of uh, Kevin Spacey and Maxwell, no. Gislin Maxwell, sitting oh, on the wow. thrones on Queen Elizabeth's throne in England? Seriously? Oh my uh, god! No, I did not see that picture. That's a really bad picture. I'm going. I'm going. Oh yeah. God. So, you know, talk about Prince Andrew not being involved. I know, right? Yeah. I mean, as I think the headline that I saw was, Royal Family once again embroiled in Jeffrey Epstein case. Scandal or whatever. Scandal, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. It's Had so them. terrible. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, that's the only way they got into that room. Well, of course. You gotta be pretty, you know, connected. And I know she is really connected to the royal family because her dad was Robert Maxwell. Yeah. But the thing, but that's, that's the thing. I'm just looking at that. And then I, I, I started watching Cromwell and I'm looking and there's the throne and I'm looking at it and going, oh. geez, it looks still very similar. Yes. 
Anyway. Oh, that's yeah. funny. But no, I know but it's interesting. Yes, yeah. I don't know no, how, how did we get there. Yes. I don't know. How. I am sorry. No, but it's interesting. Uh, Cause well, I'm Oh yeah. Obvious. JJ, JJ. We're and talking about fans. JJ. We were talking fans. about the fans and how the fans must've just, you recoiled know, recoiled at the, at the, at the prospect after. And all this. thank God yeah. for it. Yeah. Cause I was horrified when I got to this episode. Cause I had noticed all of this thing that like the project of the previous season and this season yeah. had been to butch up Reed. And yeah. like how, so now Reed is the one who will, like, um, in this episode, Take in down. fact. Take yeah, down. Yeah, like Reed, like, when they meet the creep in the park, Reed is the one who, like, grabs Take him and shoves down. him to the table and, you know, punches the guy. And I'm like, and oh, okay. puts the cuffs on him, yeah. And, puts, and I'm like, that's not really who Reed is before, but it's like, again, they're trying to butch him up. They're like, he's a tough guy. He deserves to have a lady, blah, 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 blah. Like, that's clearly what is going through the heads of the people working on this show and yeah. it's no and clearly they wanted to find some excuse to pair him up with jj yeah like there's there's no other reading for it and the fact that they handled it as classily as they did in season 15 is a miracle yeah well they brought back show. edward bernaro to yeah to, to talk a, to, to help to consult on that yeah on J on reed yeah yeah, um, they they do a lot of smart things with Reed in those first two episodes of the season, and then it eh, don't exactly you know go through with it the whole rest of the season. But, yeah, but they tried, they tried, God damn it! And I'm not going to take that away. From no, and it's only I'm not gonna ten. Be a jerk. No, yeah, it's no, only no. ten episodes. It was only ten episodes. They didn't have that much they could have done. I understand. That. Don't worry. And they didn't have that much money. <laughs> yeah, well, that was obviously <laughs> so. Anyway, those episodes. <laughs> Yeah. They spend all of their money uh, getting Cat Adams back for one week. And <laughs> I couldn't was... get any other guest stars. Anyway, and I'm also yeah, right. Yeah, but here I'm I'm watching sort of these these episodes now and I'm going, "Okay, so Simon Mirren directed this one." Oh, really? Yeah, and I'm going and then I I have been watching sort of the the sort of the photography. Oh, it's raining. Okay, that's not relevant to what you're talking about here. I'm happy about rain too. It's hot here too, but let's focus on the show, please. Sorry. It's fine. I've been trying for a week to get rain. Well, you know, we weren't trying. You were hoping for rain. I was hoping. Trying makes it sound like you were doing a shamanic uh, right to try and generate rain. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's been like 34 and 35 in American terms, like around 100 yeah. for the last totally. almost week. And it's going to continue on for another week. And <sighs> never mind. Yeah. Let's get back to this episode. Yes, let's. That's what I was getting at. <laughs> uh, seriously, though. No, <laughs> seriously. It's, it's just kind of weird because you're watching the episode and you're like, I, I can't believe. So this is a show that will tell you that hypnosis doesn't exist. This is a show that will tell you that if it's possible to hypnotize at all, hypnotize someone at all, you have to get unbelievably powerful psychotropic drugs, and you have to use them in a very specific way, and you have to order people in a very specific way. So that is the feeling of this show and hypnosis for the entire run of this show. Till okay? this episode. And this episode <laughs> literally suggests... That a man scraping a nail on a microphone can hypnotize and brainwash children. 
I know. What? And get them to walk off a roof. Walk off a roof? That was, it was the stupidest episode. It's the dumbest episode. Like, I don't know who created the book for this season. I, I know, swear right? to God. I don't know because the writers don't necessarily do they no, sit no, the, around. Generally, what happens is no. Generally, what happens is um, the writers come back. No, no, they come back and they have a retreat. They do a writers, you know, retreat. retreat. Sometimes they do a retreat. Although that used to be when a lot more money was spent on television. Now they just generally meet in the office and they all sit around and they all pitch the whole season out, right? So they pitch what is our arc for this season? What is our message for this season? Like what journey do we want the characters to go on this season? So they all pitch and they make their decisions and then they start coming up with specific episode ideas. And this season, it feels like there was, I mean, like I said, the only project, the only thing they want to accomplish this season is to butch up Reed. Like that's the only thing they have in and, mind. And so, not and? not to remind anybody about sex. Oh well, obviously, yes. The they're that was the other sec the second. Yeah, that was the other the big thing they wanted to do is no sexual violence this year, <laughs> right? So that was their two goals, right? And the rest of it is just like the whole season. There seems to be no theory of what the season is. There seems to be no theme. There's no there's no overarching villain that they've liked to do in the past. Like they've liked to do that in the past few seasons. Have some plot going on in the background ever since uh, Mark Hamill's year. Right, yeah. because even the uh, the even the the Reaper, it's not like they never went back to ch they ever went back to check in on the Reaper after he uh, like after he shot Aaron and sta well no stab shot at and then brutally stabbed Aaron. Like we didn't actually check in on the Reaper until his family died. Like they didn't they didn't really look for him at all. Right, and the same thing with Frank. And they have this bad habit of having a continuing plot and then never looking into it. And then this season, they just don't have a continuing plot at all. Like, that doesn't even occur to them as something they could do. Right? Yeah. And it's weird, because of how much of a priority they put that on uh, put on that in previous seasons. Yep. yep. Yeah, so I thought I thought that was kind of strange. No, I mean, it's it's um it is definitely weird. And like, I mean, this is harking back. I mean, they're going to the well for so many of these things because all oh, you're going, because this is where the children were hanging themselves, right? Yeah. It's not that different from that. Yeah. That, that episode. Um, yeah. The assume, the assumption that, oh, is this a cult? Is a suicide thing? Blah, 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 blah. But right? at least and, oh, no, it was a guy manipulating them to play the hanging game. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, that's more believable than this is. Oh, God. No, again. Um, so this thing is ASMR, which again is audio pornography. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, I don't understand it. Like, I know there are people who love it. I don't personally understand it, but my lack of familiarity with the appeal of this thing should not be taken that I feel I'm so uninformed that I can't, you know, definitively say, no, you're not hypnotizing children by scraping things on a microphone. Just full stop. That's not happening. <laughs> and saying uh, Hamlin backwards. And saying Hamlin backwards. It's like, what are these kids going to do? What are these gonna, kids going to do? Because they heard the word Hamlin backwards. I mean, that was, that was, the, that was to me. Was the single funniest part. Yes. Great single funniest part. I'm killing myself laughing. Oh, I just, wait, the kids are going to hear the word Hamlin backwards. They're like, well, I guess that means this guy is metaphorically a Pied Piper and I have to do what he wants. 
what? <laughs> Say what? That's not how no, brains work. I mean, That's not how kids it, work. It's but I mean, it was so funny. I mean, even the thing about Hamlet. I yeah. mean, no. I mean, as far as I knew, yeah. in the in the Hamlet story, I guess there are different versions of it. Yeah. But as far as I knew, it was just that he pied piped the children out of this out of the village, and they had no children left, yeah. and nobody ever knew where the children went. No, no, no. There's no statement in any of the stories I read that he drowned the kids the same way he drowned the rats. No, he walked the rats into the river. Yeah. The kids just left with him. Yeah, Yeah. the children just left with him. Yeah. That's all. No, no, you you are remembering it right. Thank you. Because I have the exact same memory of the story. Yeah, you yeah. know, and I mean, and I mean, I read the, the you know, I mean, I, I come from you, an age read, where, I mean, yeah, where that's you got the, thing. the hardcore like, stuff, so. Oh, yeah, of course. Like, and the thing is, I've read plenty of awful fairy tales, and I've read plenty of fairy tales that have, like, the sanitized version and the evil version. But you know what? Uh, there's not much sanitized to a guy abducts a town full of children and their parents never see them again. Yeah. Like, you don't need to add, oh, also he drowned them all. No, because, well, it's not in the, as I said, and I'm sure it wasn't in the story. I'm going, no. okay, no, so again. That's the show, trying Bruce? to bleak up the thing. Yeah. Well, no, no, that's that's the fact that they don't have research. The writers do their own research, and who cares anymore? That's true. I think that's possible. Probably Bruce, it's Bruce Zimmerman who wrote this, thought, oh, yeah, but yeah. Didn't, didn't somebody drown in that in that story of Hamelin? And, yeah, well, the rats drowned, and God only knows I wish well, somebody close would enough. Type rats away from here yeah but anyway um you know uh yeah so anyway i mean it's just a little thing again but you know you just go hamlin i give me yeah like when you're even getting a little details like that wrong you're like what is this show doing yeah yeah i mean clearly there's no there's no care left anymore um the upper management uh who are are probably like freaked out even if they say they're not yeah they have to be there is no way that you can wash away your guilt in an episode or wash away the terror of this kind of a lawsuit does this mean you're never going to get work again i mean (laughs) i mean scary i was i was thinking about that and i was thinking about um you know what's her face is uh you know cameron's ex-wife Gail. Oh, Gail Ann Hurd. Yeah, and her book, you know, You'll Never Do Lunch in This Town Again. again. I know, about how, like, easily you can just find yourself completely on the outs. Yeah, and this would do it. Yeah, being involved in this kind of a scandal. Yeah, like it could completely derail someone's career. Yeah. So, yeah, like, there's a lot of fear going around. And so (laughs) then you get to the episodes. I mean, so that's the metaphorical level. But the actual episode's plot is scarcely better. Uh, right? The the actual episode's plot, like, uh, when you move it outside of the realm of metaphor, it's, it's kind of crazy, because, again, the idea that these kids are being hypnotized by ASMR is ludicrous. Yeah. Like, it's just a crazy idea. But then you add to that, like, the um, the scene where they know that a crazy murderer is going around town well, not murderer yet, but a crazy man is going around town kidnapping children. Yeah. And then they haven't told their kids, maybe don't answer the door? Well, yeah, after I dark? Believe that. That, that, that child. Scene. That scene yeah. was so stupid. It's insane. 
Yeah, yeah. They're like, the kid just goes and answers the door. Like, your parents, the mayor, who's most upset about this, hasn't given you a heads up that there's a crazy murderer running around and you've got to be careful? What is happening here? Oh, my God. And then, I mean, they end up finding the guy really quite easily because they're just like, um, uh, well, all of these kids went to the same summer program. Oh, okay. Was anyone, and they're like, but they weren't in the same course, so how could it be involved? Oh, well, the uh, the guy who ran used to run the computer uh, course at that summer program got run out of town for being an accused pedophile. Oh, okay. I guess that's, you know, I guess that's our guy. Yeah. Did not take long to... And the fact, the weird part is that it's weird that that guy hadn't already been accused. Because the whole point of his gr- uh, his grief, right, and his anger, is that he had been accused by the whole town of being a pedophile, right? And it And it's so, like, it's so messed up his son that his son killed himself. Yeah. Right? Like, all of the bullying the son got from his dad being accused pedophile killed himself. Uh, the son killed himself. And that's that's his motive, right? And we're not going to get into whether this guy had a thing for children, blah, blah, blah. That's not what the episode's about. But if the entire town had gotten together to accuse this man of, you know, molesting, wanting to, at least, molest children, right? Uh-huh. Why, when their children started being attacked less than a year later, was the first thought, hey, remember that guy we ran out of town for being a pedophile? Yeah. Our children are being, ki- uh, you know, our children are being kidnapped. Don't you think there could be some connection there? Like, when, because the th- first thing you would do, and they don't mention it at all. So normally the first thing they do in a case like this is they talk about, um, you know, predators in the area. And that's yeah. how they find that one predator in the area, right? But how, when they were doing for a, se- uh, a search for predators in the area, did the guy who ran computer classes... And had his life destroyed by an accusation of child molestation. How did that not come up? Well, this is, this is, yeah, like, I mean, there, well, I don't know how it didn't come up. And the other thing that I want to say, who believes that mayor? I know, right? You know, like, like, I don't know who wrote that. Well, Simon Mirren directed him. Yeah. Uh, You know, Simon, what are you doing? Yeah, I know. You right? know, I mean, I mean, Simon was the director, so I'm going. You've done a lot better. Oh, before. absolutely. You've written better episodes. You direct always, and then I'm going. I'm looking at this mayor, you know, and I'm just going, "What the hell is going on? Was he the one yep. who started the rumor, and he feels guilty because he knows what's going on? I don't know. But even if he did, then like, if he did, he would he say. Telling? Well, he wouldn't, he would tell because he would believe this was vindication. Yeah. Like he would believe he had been vindicated for persecuting that guy. So there's no reason he wouldn't tell on him immediately. So it's like, there's, I mean, it's, it's like, it's okay. So remember the Freddy Krueger situation. Uh, This guy was molesting kids and murdering kids. So the whole town got together and killed him. And now he was getting his revenge on their uh, on them in their dreams. That's yeah. the character that this is most yeah. obviously themed around, yeah. right? But the yeah. thing is, in that situation, they had a good reason yeah. to keep their involvement a secret. They had extrajudicially burned a man to death. Yeah. So, not like there's a judicial way to burn men to death, but, oh, well, there used to be. I mean, that was a popular way yes. to execute people back yeah. in the day. 
Back so yeah, I don't know why I'm hesitating on that one. But yes, so they have extrajudicially burned a man to death. They have a right to be, they have a very good reason to be frigging quiet about the, yeah. the fact that they did that. Whereas in this case, they believed they were right to throw this man out of town for, you know, being an accused pedophile. They think they were right to do that. And they didn't hurt him. And they didn't do anything illegal. So why, when their kids start disappearing and they know there's a guy out there who's pissed off because he got thrown out of town for being a pedophile. Like, how is that not everyone's first thought? It ain't a big town. There's not a hundred pedophiles who it could have been. Because you know what? When when a new thing, ha a, a new kid gets attacked, the people will always jump to the conclusion that it's the guy they already didn't like for being a pedophile. So yeah, like... The idea that he isn't their first stop is insane. It doesn't yeah. make any sense at all. Yeah. So, yeah. And, like, the, and, but again, it's just because, well, the team has to find it out on their own. Why, though? <laughs> Why? Why does the team have to find it out on their own? Why is that the necessity that every single one of these stories follows? It doesn't make a lick of sense to me. Yeah, and it, it is, um, yeah, I, I, it's a bad episode. It's a bad episode. Like, I, I mean, that's Sorry all you for can filibustering say. about that one, but it really bothered me. Well, we've got three, we've got three really bad episodes. We do. Like, all week has just been terrible episodes. Yeah, and uh, amazingly terrible. So, yeah. um, you know, and then, uh. The fact that JJ's mother finally stands up for herself is a good thing, though. I mean, I thought no, I that was, was very good. happy about that. Yeah. You know, look, you didn't come home for 20 years. Yeah, but all that horrible stuff happened. Yeah, it happened well, to me, too. Yeah. You know, no, I grant you I wasn't a great mother and all of that sort of stuff, but I've tried. Yeah. She's finally putting in the effort. And yeah, I still think she was unreasonable with like, why doesn't your five-year-old child know about his dead aunt? That bothered me a little. But this time, she's quite reasonable. And it's like, and what it comes down to is the same thing she mentioned that time. Like, we, we all went through this. This yeah. wasn't something that happened to you, JJ. This is something that happened to all of, all us. of us. And the fact that, like, you decide to just run off and pretend it didn't. You're you know, the that, only one. You're the yeah, only who one got that was to a, flee. Yeah. yeah. And who like got you're to the only breathe. one who, yeah. And who exactly. got to, exactly. Yeah. We could have worked through this together, but you kept that from happening by running away and never coming back. Yeah. And never coming back in 20 years. 20 years. Yeah. She and never went yes, back. Well, we, we know, you know, and, and which, which begs the question, did JJ, when she was in town, even visit her mother? Jesus. I mean, I hope so. But it doesn't sound like it. But I see no evidence of that. No, not with what her well, I mean, mother said. I feel like she must have off camera because the mother must know that the guy responsible for oh, her well, daughter's yeah. death well, the is whole in jail town now. Would, but right? yeah, that's big news. But yeah. at the same time, you're right that I don't know that she visited her mother when she was in town. No, because there's a good chance that she didn't. Because she doesn't even mention her mother in that episode. I know it's kind of crazy. And that she if doesn't. you think if you think about it, she never even mentions her mother. I mean, because there's no reason why she couldn't have a line of you yeah. know I'm going to have to go talk to my mother, right? Oh yeah, something along those lines. But no, it's like JJ is completely oblivious to the fact that that her sister being 
her sister committing suicide had any impact on anybody else but her. Yeah, no, she's completely self-involved and narcissistic about it. I mean, I grant you when I was 17, you know, if I knew, if I had known at 17 what I knew or figured out 20 years later or, you know, whatever. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean... It, it it you you change like you grow like you figure out Absolutely. jj doesn't no i mean you figure these things out yeah my mother had she a, is a had woman a, in her late 30s who is still going through the exact same she has emotional she's still, stuff yeah she's yeah. still like this 14 year old or thir- how old was she when her sister committed suicide 11 11 she's it's, it's like it's been a trauma it happened when she was 11 and she never got over it and i grant yeah. you yes her mother didn't handle it well no any more that you know any more than my mother handled our teen years well yeah but it wasn't that long it didn't take it didn't take me 20 years it didn't take you 20 years to understand well no to figure out what your mother's issues were the stuff that was her own stuff that kept her from being able to help you Right? Like, there's, it didn't take you 20 years to get there the way it's taken JJ 20 years. And by the way, if, here's the real question. Years. Yeah. 30 yeah. years. Oh, no, yeah. Well, no, but she's not 40 yet, but she's almost 40. Yeah. Right? Closer to, so yeah. So, yeah. so it's 30 some, uh, so it's 20 some years, right? Like 25 years it took her. And honestly, if she hadn't had to go back to catch that guy, for molesting teenage girls and attempted murdering somebody, would she ever have gone back, gone back and settled things with her mother and, you know, gotten over her own stuff? Yeah. I don't know that she would have. No. And in no matter how hard Will tried. Yeah. Yeah. No, Cause I'm sure Cause that he has tried. Well, he's obviously got her in therapy and he's obviously, I mean, 100% he's definitely pushing her to make up with her mother. Mm-hmm. Like from everything we know about Will, of course he's doing that. One hundred percent, that man is doing that. He's the best husband in the history of television. <laughs> Seriously, As you like fond of t- saying well, yes. Don't you? Don't have you know to I'm ex- right. Yes, you I, know I'm right. I. It's not, just kind of amazing. Yeah. 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 Like, well, no, because it's like the the idea of, and it's so rare. For a husband, like, the thing that's so unique is, and this is what remi- it reminds me of the, um, the, the, what reminds me of this is, so you remember they were making the Ruth Bader Ginsburg movie, right? Yeah. About her, and it's, it's actually a very good movie. I really mm-hmm. enjoyed it, right? Mm-hmm. So when they were developing in it, and cause it's this wonderful story about how they got, uh, no discrimination on the basis of sex, right? That, how that became a Supreme Court ruling. And yeah. it's fantastic. Um, and the results of it were great, and she was instrumental in that, and that's why she got on the Supreme Court. And so, um, Ar- Armand Hammer plays her husband, right? Yeah. Bob Ginsburg or whatever his, I don't remember his name. It's not important because he's just a tax lawyer. He's a prominent tax lawyer, but he's not who we're here to talk about. Tax yeah. law is not the star of the story. Uh, but anyway, all right. So he plays the husband and apparently one of the problems they had was when they were writing the story, right? Was, that all of the producers who were considering money is like, there's not enough conflict. Why can't you have her husband, like, not backing her up? And she has to, like, go out and uh prove who she is and prove she has good ideas and blah, 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 blah. And the answer is, because in real life, her husband was unfailingly supportive, supportive of her. Yeah. 
he knew she was brilliant and that she was working on the right cause and he supported it 1000 <laughs> percent and so the the best thing was i don't remember if it was the writer or director i read this comment from but it's like we've had 5000 years of stories about warriors who come home from a battle and they're you know completely uh you know what's the word abnegated wife yeah. right uh who just cleans their wounds and completely supports them and then sends them back out to keep fighting and we've had 5000 years of that story <laughs> over and over again but literally one time we ask a husband to be that for the wife in the story it's super unrealistic <laughs> And the thing I wanted to tell the writer is, well, you just got to watch Criminal Minds. There is a relationship exactly like that modeled on TV. And it's a unique relationship, but it is like, like she has a husband who creates no drama of any kind. That's exactly Who is just endlessly faithfully supportive. Raises And again, kids. primary caregiver to those kids. Yep. I, I know it's 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 a weird anomaly for the show. Yeah. yeah, it's the one thing in the show that's fascinating. And again, they accidentally created like one of the most unique, interesting, and yes, healthy marriages in in fiction. Because even though she's incredibly screwed up, he's he never gives up on her, and he's constantly trying to make sure she gets the help she needs, whether or not she's willing to accept it. Yeah, it's, 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 it is, a, it is strange. It's almost, yeah, it's weird how they wrote that relationship. Yeah. And it's just because JJ got, got pregnant, got pregnant Literally. in real life. In real life. And yeah, so, AJ Cook got pregnant. In real life. So they, and so she had this relationship with Will. So they said, okay, well, we're married. So they, well, they didn't even, she didn't even have this relationship. Like they had, they had flirted once. They flirted in the one episode when she was on the show. And then when she got pregnant, they made up the backstory that she had been going off to see him all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where you've been spending your time. What? Yeah. And it comes out of nowhere. Yeah. It comes out. It did come out of nowhere. But and we found out it's because she got pregnant in real life. Yeah. It's very funny. And it's very wonderful that they accidentally wrote this incredibly healthy relationship. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I and I do think in some ways it was accidental. Yeah, because oh, it absolutely is. Um, because if you dealt with JJ, you weren't gonna, you know, because she already had a child, and 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 then she had another child, right? So, exactly. In real yeah. life, and in real life, so like you just got to keep them together for simplicity's sake. Yeah. Well, it was like the only other thing that's like it is the the teen uh, mystery drama Pretty Little Liars, which is this show that. Um, I ended up watching because uh, my wife really liked it. And I started watching. And I'm like, oh, okay. So this is a teen drama by people who were really obsessed with 80s slasher movies. Okay. I'm on board for that. <laughs> but the funny, the thing about the show that was unique was there are four main characters, right? And each one of them has a boyfriend because it's a teen drama. But normally in a show like this, a, the dating drama would be... Uh, would be like at the forefront and people, oh, his relationship and new guy and blah, blah. And they would constantly have teen drama to keep it going and keep people focused. But the weird situation with the show was that it was a show about a murder mystery and they're constantly trying to solve crimes. So the show never had time for there to be any drama or almost any drama in their relationships. So they ended up like 
just writing them as really stable, supportive relationships. <laughs> Which is completely off-brand for a teen drama. But they're like, no, we don't have time for them to get into fights and break up. We yeah. need to find out who murdered a person at the town clock tower. And it's the same way that you end up, like, accidentally modeling super healthy relationships because you're too busy with the murder story you're telling on the side. <laughs> yeah. And that's what happened in both of these cases. Like, because yeah. think about it. If J.J. hadn't gotten pregnant. Yeah. If A.J. Cook hadn't gotten pregnant, she th that character wouldn't have gone out and dated someone and got married. They would have just put her and Spencer together after 10 years. Yeah. But obviously, in season two, they can't have her getting together with Spencer, so they have to come up with another story. Yeah. And the story they come up with is... Or, sorry, in season three, they can't come up with her... Uh, like, she yeah. can't start dating Spencer in season three. No. So they have to quickly do something else, and that ends up being the definitive relationship on the show. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. It, 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 it's strange sometimes what happens Yeah, in shows. Like, and... and I, it's because we see this show as a whole and these characters exactly. as on a on a timeline. Yeah, and, and all of the decisions, all of these single decisions the writers were making yeah. over the years, they turn into this whole. Yeah. You and, know, they yeah. turn into this narrative. Yeah, and I think, yes, J.J. would have been an entirely different... Like, J.J. probably would have turned into the horror that she turned into last early this season and I know. last year earlier on oh absolutely you know that they would have done all of that sort of stuff but all of a sudden they've got this situation right yeah. <laughs> and they've married her off and she's got these kids so they have to have different stuff and yeah i mean that scene where where she she gets rid of so she gets rid of that necklace and then he comes up i mean that will stand out as one of the best moments in the entire run yeah. of the show when he shows up with with a new necklace for her to yeah. wear with her children that that, oh. that to me that scene is just so beautiful yeah it really is yeah so all right so yeah okay um, we we got off uh the episode a bit because this is a very dumb episode that doesn't make sense like no single part of this episode make like it's it's a terrible hole but every little bit of this episode also doesn't make sense. Yeah. Why, like, why did you half persecute this guy you thought was a child molester? You know, <laughs> did why you weren't you able children to? Children complain. Yeah, like exactly. Why did you, you know, like why didn't you keep a better eye on your children once you knew there was this thing going around? Why didn't you tell your kids maybe don't open the door if a stranger knocks on it in the middle of the night when there's a crazy abductor running around? How did he hypnotize children? Like, no, no part of this episode makes sense. Like, every little bit of it is gibberish. And then, as a whole, it's one of the worst episodes of the season. Yeah. So it's like, all of the elements don't work, and then, in the final analysis, it's just garbage. Yeah, so, yeah. and I guess that's why Simon Mirren didn't bother caring about how he directed it. <laughs> that's all I can say. Well, no, I'll say one thing. I'll say one thing about Simon Mirren's direction. All right, I want to say something good now, because I haven't been doing much of that lately. Uh, at the beginning of the episode, when he's got the kids out on the yes, swing, that was... and he plays some creepy music, I'm oh. like, there we go. No, no. Someone actually cares. It's funny. It's funny. It was when I was watching that, I'm going, yeah, it didn't matter that, that they fired the DP. 
No, the the new guy does a perfectly good job. Yeah, it was it was a it was a really good scene. You yeah, know, the it's a very creepy one, image. And then yeah. you get the next one, you yep. know, and then you get the girl, like, and they just, you know, and it's it timed perfectly, like. Oh yeah. That whole thing, even when the first boy that we see almost turns around. Yeah, and then he gets yanked into the uh, yeah. car. Like, it's, it, it, it's a very well shot scene. Very, very well shot scene. I mean, would would Matt Gubler have done it better? Of course he would have. But you know, at least Simon Mirren understands what Matt Gubler does, which is you got to do interesting themed music if you want to creep people out. Yeah, that's exactly, and that's that's yeah. what he goes for. And he goes, I mean, he doesn't go all in. Like this could have been another one of Gubler's fairy tale episodes, right? Well, this because well, it's literally about the Pied Piper of Hamlin. And after that first scene, you don't really have that characterization of it, but at least they did the first scene that way. Well, the thing is, is that maybe this is, the, this should have been given to Goobler, but anyway, oh, and it might've been, and the, and then the episode might've been, I don't know how to fix this. I mean, the thing is, is you can see why this guy was going to take the children. Yeah. You know, that, like you do sort of understand that the underlying motive of, the children of the 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 the, the, the unsubbed killer, yes. the ki- well no he didn't kill any oh well he killed he did wife. yeah he killed the yes. wife that's what i'm saying you understand his motive yeah but that's the only thing that that you can understand sort of so you've yeah. got a couple of of things that's the one thing you can understand because in some of the others you just kind of go and, uh well what? okay yeah say what uh we don't even know uh okay like the last one it's like uh, yeah Dubai. so he was evil so genetics, the the two previous when it was just genetics. Here, yeah, least, I know. Here at least we've got a reason. And, oh yeah. And yeah, and I can suit. But the method by which he captured the children. Yeah, it's just complete nonsense. It's is sort of okay. Who dreamt that one up? Okay. I know. I know. Okay. It's, well, no, it's like somebody finding out kids love this ASMR stuff. What if someone using it to hypnotize people? Oh, I'm going to bring up something that uh, bothered me a lot, Okay. Uh, just in passing, and I forgot to mention we were talking about that episode, but now that we're done talking about this one, uh, at, uh, at the end of the, uh, we see the house party at the end of episode 11. Oh, yes. We didn't talk about that. No, we didn't talk about the house party and his girlfriend I have something show up. to say about that, too, but you see okay. yours first. I'll, I say, my, well, I'll say mine first, which is, they do the little quote from It's a Wonderful Life. And then, uh, rather insanely, right, at the end of the story about A Wonderful Life, and this is, I know this is a weird line for me to jump, uh, to jump in on, but Spencer jumps in with, you know, the FBI, uh, put out a statement discrediting It's a Wonderful Life as communist propaganda, to which I respond, first off, A, Weird use of the word, like, discrediting. Like, that's not the right word to use for that situation. They were accusing it of being communist propaganda. But discrediting creates the impression that, like, um, the, the film It's a Wonderful Life was supposed to accomplish something, and they were setting out true facts that kept it from accomplishing something. So it's like, that is Spencer Reed accepting the 1940-somethings FBI's assertion that a movie was, co- like, communist propaganda, right? Yeah. And so, like, he's just passively asserting, like, all of his statements 
live in a world where that's a true fact, that it was communist propaganda. So that troubled me a little. But the bigger issue is, don't you feel like it should give you pause that you work for the kind of organization that used to attack Hollywood movies? By Frank Capra? By Frank Capra? For their quote-unquote socialist anti-American messaging? But wasn't this, uh, like, like, I can't... Doesn't that give you pause? To me, I cannot even imagine how you could watch It's a Wonderful Life and think that. I know. Like, like, how how in your brain... Well, I mean, they're they're extreme right-wing border... I mean, it's the FBI. They're extreme right-wing borderline fascists back in the 40s. Right. Um, Edgar, yeah. Edgar. I mean, he was fine with fascism. 100% he was fine with fascism. Be like, anything that keeps me in charge, I'm fine with. He's just yeah. J. Edgar Hoover. But it's like, so a movie where the bad guy is a banker? Yeah, they were going to call it socialist. The bad guy in the movie is a banker. That's all the FBI would need to say it's socialist. Put everybody who worked this on this movie on a list. Like, absolutely, that's how the FBI worked at the time. And to a certain extent, still works. If you see the kind of files they're keeping on Black Lives Matter, they haven't stopped doing that. But anyway, so yes, it's just, it's such a weird thing to just throw out there as a funny thing Reed says. And I'm like, no, that's kind of horrifying that they went after Frank Capra because of, I'm going to say it, the most inoffensive movie in the world. It's a wonderful life. Yeah, I know. It's just... It's this this heartwarming movie. Yeah, but because there's an evil capitalist in it, and a, and they an have angel. To, well, yeah, but I mean, they didn't have a problem with the angel. They only had a problem with the evil capitalist. And this is what I want to say. And this is um because I remember someone telling me about well, you know, the House on American Activities um uh, thing wasn't bad because there actually were communists in the government. And I'm like, okay, first off. of people that they attacked were not, you know, members of the Communist Party. Arthur Miller. Arthur Miller got, you know, blacklisted because of this. But beyond that, and I want to stress this, this is the important part, right? Let's say there were a bunch of communists in the, right, in the party. Uh, In the government. In the entertainment. In the government. Well, government's less, you know, uh, but in the entertainment industry, right? I want to make this clear, but even in the government. Even in the government. It's not a crime to be a communist. It's not illegal to be a communist. It's not illegal to be in favor of socialism. Socialists had always run for president of America. It has never been illegal for there to be a socialist party in America. So all of the stuff that Huac was attacking, none of it was illegal. They were people trying to, in a fascist way, create a purity test where you had to say no to communism and no to socialism if you wanted to work at any level in the United States government. But the fact is, there's nothing wrong with working for the United States government and also being a practicing communist, being a member of the Communist Party. As long as you do your... The whole point of America is, as long as you do your job, that's fine. It doesn't matter what you believe or what God you pray to or blah, 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 blah. None of that matters if you're willing to do your job. In theory. But in theory. (laughs) Obviously, I know that's not how it works in practice, but in theory. So, yes, the reason the House on American Activities uh, thing 
uh, a committee was itself un-American was that they were persecuting people for their beliefs, not their actions. Yeah. That was the problem with it. It doesn't matter whether there were actually communists in the Defense Department. If those communists weren't spying for Russia, it doesn't matter that they were communists. That's the point. And that's what these people completely miss. And so that really bothered me. What did, what bothered you about that scene, please? Well, actually, that, that was part of it. But no, no, I just thought, I just, I just thought doing the whole thing with It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. Was bringing the, and then, then quoting the lines about bread and salt and wine. And I'm just going, none of these people watch enough movies that they would all be able able to quote quote It's a Wonderful Life. Like, I watched It's a Wonderful Life more than once. And I couldn't quote, like, they act. I know, I've seen this movie a bunch of times. The, The idea that all of them, off the top of their head, can quote the housewarming scene, which is not an important scene in It's a Wonderful Life. No. It's not like that's an important critical scene that the movie is about. The only people, uh, the the only thing people can quote is that George Bailey is the richest man in town. Yeah, well, no, and and that the angel got his wings. Yes, every time <laughs> Bell rings, an angel gets its wings, and he finally and that got George his Bailey, wings. he's the my brother, the richest man in town. Like that's what people remember. Yeah, people cannot like average people cannot out of nowhere. Just recite the entire housewarming scene from that movie. You just can't. And they and the crazy part is everybody acts. All the characters not only can like, remember it, but they all act like, oh yeah, this is a completely normal thing to do that everyone does all the time. Everyone knows. That no, no, but it's like they act like yeah. it's such a common thing to do that, oh God, are we really gonna do this again? Is one of their reactions. It's I know. Like, no one does this. No, this is crazy. I, I cannot remember one horse. Housewarming party. I mean, the, I mind you, anyone would quote that. Yeah. This is honestly like saying, "Oh, you got a new car? Great, let's do that thing everyone always does: read off Skeletor speeches from the He-Man movie." <laughs> what? <laughs> this is coming from nowhere. This is not a thing people do. But somebody thought it was heartwarming. Oh, I'm sure they did, but like, <laughs> it's it's one thing to be heartwarming. It's one thing to pretend it's a thing that everybody already does. If one of the characters says, let me say something, because it's, you know, the thing I always do at housewarmings, because I find it so resonant, that's fine. But they're pretending that every character, as you say, knows all these lines by heart and always thinks that it's the appropriate thing to say in a housewarming is just bizarre. And loose. And Luke. Yeah. Alves, yeah. Alves, Alves, yeah. Alves doesn't yeah. know it. Because I know. guess what? <laughs> Never mind. All right, we're going to make a joke about him Jacka. being. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We'll introduce him. Don't you get it? He's not, as, uh, he's not as white bread as the rest of them. Yeah. Even Matt Simmons is pretty damn white bread. Oh, his dad was military, wasn't he? Yeah, his dad was American military. Yeah. His, uh, his wife is white. His kids are all half white. No, uh, like, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, uh, he is, he is the most, uh, like, stereotypical American Marine you can have. Yeah. Luke's got his own personality separate from that. Matt, not so much. Matt is just the ideal father and husband, and he has no real other personality. (laughs) 
as he pointed he out really to does. Luke. As yeah. he pointed out to Luke. So what does what does Lisa want? She wants yeah, a housewarming party. You're going to have a housewarming party. Yeah, that's what we're doing. All right. Uh, yeah, he he gets it. You know, yeah. he's he's a husband. He knows how this stuff works. Uh, he's not the best husband though, because he's never actually pushed up against a wife who has a ton of problems. Yeah. Uh, the no, way, no, 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 that's exactly the way it. Junior does. Yeah. Well, no, but I mean, that's the thing. It's like Matt is there to provide like this, this idyllic family life in every conceivable way. Even when their child has a problem, it's their child has a problem because he cares too much about his dad. Yeah. He just cares about his dad so much that it's causing him problems at school. school. I'm like, yeah. Okay. The, imagine the parents who wish that's the problems <laughs> their kids have. <laughs> oh, damn it. My kid's getting in trouble again because he loves me too much and won't stop standing up for me at school. <laughs> what a bizarre fantasy life these characters live in. <laughs> All right. That's that. We're going to stop here because now we're just <laughs> criticizing these people's families. <laughs> we're just, okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah you All know. right. We're going to stop it there. Um, if you'd like to do the homework and watch next week's episodes with us, what are you going to have to watch? 13 is Chameleon. Ah, the introduction to the face-off killer. It's the okay. only episode of television directed by A.J. Cook, and it's a remake of an episode that she was, that she was the star of. Okay. Yeah, no, I just I find it fascinating that like when she directed an episode, she made an exact replica of the episode she like the the biggest actor showcase episode they've given her in years. Yeah. And okay. they did a remake of it. It's very weird. Next up. Yes. We'll, we'll talk about that next week. Yeah, we'll talk about that next week. Okay, 14 is Sick and Evil. Ah, the ghost episode. Some people call it the dumbest episode of Criminal Minds. I wouldn't go that far, but it's very dumb. And then, of course, the last, the episode. Yeah. The episode that was supposed <sighs> to be written by by, Kirst, by Kristen Vangnes and Erica Messer, instead yep. is written by someone called Erica Meredith and directed by Glenn Kershaw that caused horror among, obviously, a lot the entire of fan fans. base. Not just you and I. We thought it was just you and I. No, the entire fan base. Or almost the entire fan base. God. I think, you know, the yeah. weirdly, I, I honestly wish that they hadn't had all of this surus around the lawsuit. Yeah. For one reason. I wish I could have heard another one of Kristen Vangsness's completely delusional, not having any idea what the show is about. <laughs> commentaries about this episode of all episodes that would have been wonderful eh would have woman been who wonderful. writes episodes of the show and has no idea what the show is about <laughs> this is why i love her so much oh yeah she has no idea what she so, writes she's so good she's so pleasant she's so good-natured that she has no idea what the show she writes is about <laughs> it's amazing i know i know they're wonderful there's nothing else like it out there yeah so yeah uh, yes, I wish she had gotten to write this episode as well. Then, yes, because then we would oh. have had a wonderful, wonderful... That would have been an incredible commentary. Yep. Anyway, it's called All Truth right. or Dare if, if anybody doesn't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> doesn't know, it's the episode Truth or Dare. So uh, yeah. check that out. Uh, but for now, if you have any questions, if you have any comments, if there's any profiling-related fiction you think uh, we should check out, be sure to drop us a line at profilingcriminalminds at gmail.com. 
we would love to hear from you. Uh, there's just, uh, oh yes, if you're listening to this on a podcatcher or some sort of podcast app, be sure to rate and review it because that is how people find the show. Uh, the countdown is on. There's only seven more episodes of, prof- uh, well, six more episodes of Profiling Criminal Minds about Criminal Minds left. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's something. And we haven't actually decided what we're going to watch between seasons uh, 14 and 15 yet. So uh, hopefully it ends up being good. I was about to say, be sure to tune in for our between season episode, but like, we haven't actually talked about what we're watching. Yeah. So I can't tell people to tune in for that. Uh, but it should be good. Um, you were going to want to make it pro- uh, Prodigal Son, but I want to do Prodigal Son right after we finish Criminal Minds and post it this summer. Okay. So the people listening to this now will have already long since heard us talking about Prodigal Son. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, because I'm very excited about that because it's exactly on point for what we're discussing okay. and because, you know, Lou Diamond Phillips. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that one. All right. So I guess that's going to be that. We will see you back here next week. But until then, I'm going to say that's right. Au revoir. And have a good weekend. Profiling Criminal Minds is a member of the Kinks Podcasting Network. 